hello. Welcome to the Bali Effect. This is Preeti Tana. This is Didi Perry. Preeti, how how are you like not in my my life every single day? I feel I haven't seen you in in weeks and weeks, and I know it's only been like thirty six hours. But gee, <laughs> I think it's I only miss been, you. I miss you too. I think it's only been twenty four. But um, you know, the process of this podcast, aside from learning so many wonderful things and meeting extraordinary people. Um, including our guest today. Mm. Uh, I I miss you when I don't talk to you, D. I know, I know, and so much happens. Do you feel? Well, this isn't even the question. Question, but I'll just. This is on the top of my mind, so here I go. Do you feel like more life is actually coming at you in quarantine and all the multiple pandemics at this point uh, in shorter periods of time? Yeah, because I feel like I've experienced a whole month in the last 24 hours. Well, there's arguably so much going on, and our attention is focused on the present moment as well. So I think it feels as though so much is coming at us, whereas previously, you know, pre-quarantine life, we were running around and darting here and doing this, and our our ability to stay in the moment was was less available, at least to me. And so it def it definitely feels that way. It feels that way, and yeah. and today is is an important day today is a very important today uh ugh, excuse me today is a very important day why is it an important day Preeti? i want you to tell me why it's an important day Didi. well i think it'd be okay all right i'll say it but i know that you know and i just was giving you an opportunity to let the the what do we say? We have seven listeners now. The seven <laughs> listeners know that you know, but I will I will say it. This is my phone trying to ring. Not now, Satan. Um, <laughs> today is Juneteenth. That's right. Well, actually, today is June 19th, mm-hmm. but the holiday that is being commemorated is Juneteenth. And something that is unknown. The, do you know why it's called Juneteenth? I do, but I want you to go, I want you to go through the entire conversation for our audience today. Ah, boy, then we won't have time to get to the the fun question. Oh, well, we'll all learn something. So the Emancipation Proclamation, which abolished slavery in the United States, went into effect on January 1st, New Year's Day. Can't you feel a brand new day? You see why I wanted Didi to do this? Keep going. But of 1860, of 18, sorry, sometimes it feels like 19, but 1863, right? New Year's Day. That's why, I don't know if people are familiar with Kwanzaa. That is why the last day of Kwanzaa is New Year's Day. It is symbolic and also commemorating the abolition of slavery, which is hugely monumental for all Americans, in particular people of African descent whose ancestors were enslaved. However, in certain parts of the South, particularly in Galveston, Texas, the folks who were getting all that good free labor were not ready to give up their free labor source. Mm-hmm. So they didn't tell their workers that they were, in fact, free. And they let that lie linger for two years and a half. And it wasn't until around somewhere in the teens of June, they don't actually quite know which day it is, but one of those teens, Union Army soldiers were like, are they paying you around here? And they're like, why would they pay us? We work for free. It's like, no, 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 that's, that's illegal. And so when the people were told they actually were free and this was confirmed and validated, there were huge celebrations. And they call it Juneteenth because they're not quite sure whether it was the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, or 19th, somewhere in there. And so that is the Juneteenth story. And this is something that actually has been celebrated um, in Texas and around African-American communities ever since that time. It, however, has not come into larger recognition and acknowledgement by uh, other folks uh, until more recently. And view of everything that is going down in the multiple apocalypses that seem to be occurring at this moment, it has taken on greater significance. And so now there's movements to just make it a federal holiday. And some places are actually already observing it. In New York, it's it's now going to be a holiday. And yes, today is the 19th, which is the date they're recognizing it. So there you go. Thank you, Didi. And 130. 
30,000%, I would not have been able to give that same intro and definition. So I thank you for enlightening all of our leaders. I have a question about Juneteenth, and, and maybe we introduce our guest, because I'd love to hear her insight as well. Mostly, I'm just excited to talk to her. So, so great, Didi, I'm going to give it to you again to introduce our beautiful guest today. Okay. Well, I selfishly, I want to first give our guest credit because it's because of her that I'm here sitting with you doing mm-hmm. this podcast at all. I ain't know anything about podcast life other than they sound really intimidating and super, super legit. And I could never do anything like that. And this lovely person invited me to be a guest on her podcast with her wonderful co-host. And I, at first was like, me, why me? No, I don't have anything to say. It was and a very good one. Not true. I know. But, right, Shayna? She has a lot to say. So much to say. <laughs> well, thank you for seeing what I did not see in myself, truly. <laughs> and so that was my first time behind the mic. And I had so much fun with them. So again, fast forward, you know, all those I don't know, almost a year later, when we started out on this adventure, these were people that I wanted to have on our first season. And so I'm so happy that we're finally making this happen. And who do we have in the building? We have the one and only beautiful, brilliant, and delight and delightful Shayna, who is a date who she's data centric in every definition of the term. By day, she uses her factual superpowers to help big businesses get their act together. And by night, in all the other hours of the day, she uses it to get everybody else together, myself included. Because, I mean, I don't even have to listen to the news. I just listen to their podcast. Mm -hmm. Not only do I get news, but I get the critique on how the news is all trash to begin with. All trash! (laughs) (laughs) And she's also a writer and one half of the dynamic and phenomenal podcast called Yo Business, which is the blackest business podcast around. Her words, not mine, but it is the truth. (laughs) Shayna. Hello. Thank you. Welcome, Shayna. I'm so excited. I hope that I'm like, I'm trying to be a good guest because Danaka knows how I can. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) I'm outed. I love Didi. No, I like (laughs) never call you Didi, so I don't think about it. Just do you from now on. Um. So yeah. So Didi knows how I can get. So. You're going to have to cut me off at some point. No, no. Ain't no censors happening. No. This is the thing that I find so delightful. And for anybody who is listening, I encourage you to also experience this conversation on our YouTube page just to see Shana. Because looking at her, she's gorgeous. And Shana, you know, as a tall person, no, no shade at all. I saved my shade for Preeti. But Shana is this <laughs> coming. She's this petite fashionista on the outside, and on the inside, it's. And I'm wearing a T-shirt in honor of her. Another reason to just watch this. She's she's Malcolm. She's Harriet. She's Frederick Douglass. Uh, she's all the people. Uh, Martin, you know, incredible. And it's all bald in this. Shana, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from? Yeah. Uh, we'll start there. And how, like, what sort of environment did you grow up in? Were you always a militant fighter for the revolution and the cause? Or did that So that story surprises everyone all the time. So I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I grew up around maybe four black people. And they were my family. I went to private, all-white schools, at, like, for from kindergarten through college. Um, I went to Carnegie Mellon for college, where minority wasn't even the right word to use. There was just, like, such a small percentage of us. Um, and I, a funny thing is that up until probably college, I very, very much wanted to be a white woman. Uh, I can relate to that. Yeah. Like, Uh I just was like, I just looked at them and was like, that would be so much easier. Like, Uh like, their lives look so easy. And like, 
and their lives to me were wrapped up in how easy their hair looked. Like the fact that they could go swimming and put it in a bun and be done. They could go to a slumber party, put it in braids, take it out. It's, I was just like, that must be how their life is. Like their life just must be so like, here, here's what I'm going to do. And my hair was like the juxtaposition of that, you know, like, as you know, having black hair, it's just like nothing but work. And so um, yeah. So I it's... love your afro, by the way, that you Thank were rocking. Thank you. Oh. And it's always so, in- I love it too. And it's so interesting. I just finished watching Self Made on Netflix. Have mm-hmm. you guys seen that? I haven't and, seen Oh, it's fantastic. But um, j- again, the, the symbolism of hair, of, of what it means to a black woman and what other hair means to them, I, it's, I highly recommend it. So it's just interesting that you brought up the hair uh, yeah. relationship. Yeah. And so it's like my parents are not this way. You know, my my dad is a little more. My dad is very uh, community focused and he has always like had a hundred side hustles and like one of them was for the man and then the rest of them was for us. And so I definitely did learn that part from him. But uh, my mom, I'm like just now starting to kind of drag a little bit more out about like let's talk about racism and let's talk about the ways that we contribute to anti-blackness in our family right because anti-blackness is something that we're taught all the time and like let's think about the language that we use that is like really playing into colorism you know like and let's talk about how we talk to the next generation about their hair and their body and like so that's like kind of my role now, but it it did not come from my growing up at where, all. Where did your parents grow up? See, for me, that came from my parents immigrating to America from India and me feeling as though we had to assimilate to, mm. you know, white American life, white life in order to, to succeed. Yeah. And so, so my da- yeah, my dad is from Pittsburgh and my mom is from Yonkers, New York. Mm-hmm. And... My mom moved to Pittsburgh to go to Carnegie Mellon in the 70s and met my dad. And I think that um, my parents were my parents were always able to uh, play in both worlds, right? Like mm. my parents were always able to be very black and very proud of that, but then also know like the code switching of going to Carnegie Mellon in the 70s or mm. working for the housing authority in Pittsburgh, which my dad did and be able to like, my, my dad moved up from janitor to where he is now. And so they, they were that they had that kind of life. Right. But it was a very, we worked hard. That's how we got here. And it was almost, this is a negative term now, but it was almost a very, like we pulled ourselves up by the bootstraps. That's how we got here. Mm -hmm. And so I was taught that too. And it's like, not until I really started to educate myself was I like, but they keep cutting our bootstraps. Like, I don't know how they, you know what I mean? It's like, we live in a country where the system makes sure that like our bootstraps are always shorter than everyone else's bootstraps. And so it's not enough for me to say, oh, I made it for my family. Like that's not enough. It's now I have to like be an educator and I have to call out things when I see them. And I have to give to people that like had a very different upbringing than me, but we are all having the same struggle. So um, I think my parents did what they knew, you know, and I, and it's my job to do what I know, which is like a lot, <laughs> and so a lot now. And so, um, you know, I feel like with every generation, we like, we got to work a little harder. So you were in Carnegie Mellon, you're <laughs> wanting to, to be like the rest of the crowd. Uh-huh. When did that change? Yeah. So it's this story also. <laughs> I wish that I had like a like aha moment, but mm-hmm. what happened is I got to Carnegie Mellon and I got black friends, and I got like West Indian black friends, and I got mm-hmm. Nigerian black friends, and I got and I was just like I had black friends that had grown up in London, and I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> like number one, I had never seen that outside of my family and the people at my church, um, and then. I feel like this could be taboo to say, but it was honestly being also then around black men who found me attractive mm. where, where, where blackness is what you wanted to be. Right. Mm. Which I had never felt that my whole life. Like I had always got asked to prom mm. because I was like very cute for a black girl or I had always mm. got, you know, and, and, and say that, and that be yep. the compliment. and, mm. you know, them talking about like, 
how I'm not like other black girls. And that, that was what I was hearing all along the way. And then to get to college and have these like black boys from New York and black boys from Jamaica be very into my hair. And it, it, that made me, I won't say that's what like got me to this place, but it did make me want to appreciate who I was and then learn more and then start to question the happy slave narrative that I had been taught in school. You know, it's just like, it, it made me want to say like, all right, this is actually a culture. Like I felt up until that point, I felt like I had made it in spite of the fact that I was mm-hmm. black. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like being in that surrounding as small as that population was at Carnegie Mellon did make me say, oh my gosh, this is something that like, I want to intentionally choose, even if I had the option to do differently. And like the the funny thing is the white woman that I wanted to be, I had her in my mind for so many years. It was a girl that I went to school with. Her name was Emily Dove. I thought you were going to say Karen. I was like, oh, (laughs) she had curly red hair and she was just like a little, she wasn't like super skinny. She was like a little thicker. She had brown eyes. And I was just like, that would be it. Like, I don't want to be blonde, but that would be it. And so it was like getting to a place where I could recognize that like, even if I were in some alternative world, given that choice, I wouldn't want it. And these are the reasons why. How, you know, can you give us some examples of how you got to that place? Because unwinding a very innate way of being, right? And unwinding what you're, I mean, it's one thing to recognize, but to get to the point where you say, I don't, I'm, I'm encouraged and I want to be who I am. And I am a black woman. I don't want to be, um, the redhead girl whose name right. I forget. Sorry, <laughs> Emily. Right. Emily. Um, yeah. Where, where do you, when was that moment for you? Yeah. Um, that or, moment, sorry, go ahead. No. Or how did you unravel it really? Yeah. So it's funny that moment came, I took a, I was a psychology major and I took a class called, uh, African-American families. And it was my first black psychology teacher and we read a book written by a black professor. Uh, there was major the class maybe had 17 kids in it. One of them was white, one was Asian, the rest were black. And that environment was a very aha moment for me in the sense that this is a place that I can, this is, this is while we don't have a language, while that was stripped from us, there is a language inside of this room that, mm-hmm like there was an ease that I had not felt where it's just like, I didn't have to explain to someone like, okay, so like this person's my cousin, but not really my cousin because they're not related to me. They're like play cousins. Cause we grew up down there. Like they were just like, duh, all our cousins are play cousins. You know what I mean? It just like was that. And so that was, I think the, the pivotal moment for me. And then how I began to unravel that was really reading, you know, was mm-hmm. really picking up, the bluest eye and seeing that Toni Morrison wrote about someone who was also praying to be white. And so that's not an, that's not an uncommon narrative for a little black girl to have. And so to, to read about myself in that was like, I want this. Mm -hmm. I want this. I want to dig deeper into this. I want to read books. Like I just, um, I haven't finished it yet, but like the new Jim Crow, I, I started a book called bound in wedlock. That's about marriage during slavery. I want to know like how we got here. And I truly, truly believe that as many things are passed down genetically, so is trauma. And Mm -hmm. so as hard as it is, I want to read about that so that just like all my other traumas, I can start to tackle them. Um, And so, yeah, it's reading has been, I think my, my number one. And then it took a little longer to get to the point where I was reading and then speaking up. Mm. You know, um, First of all, Ashe to all of that, <laughs> all of that. Um, Preeti, in an, an episode we did weeks ago, I remember, maybe it was in our conversation with Ryan, you were saying the importance of education mm-hmm. in trying to to work against systemic internalized racism. And I think my response to it was like, but, but Karen, you know, was highly educated and she's calling the cops on... And to Shana's point, and even to the point in the, the interview that we just did, it's education that includes 
the perspective of the people who are oppressed right. makes yes. a world of difference. Yes. So it's and, not and that's just not like, who, that's not who's writing our textbooks ever, exactly, ever, ever. Exactly. The people that you killed do not come back and write history books. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. So it's like doing the work of, of listening to voices outside of your voice. And, you know, Shana touched on something. First of all, I also, Shana, want to tell you how much I appreciate your honesty, um, because I, I, I think in another episode talked about being in an event where they asked everyone, every woman of color to stand up. And I paused because I had to remind myself that wasn't my first identifier. And I remember, Deed, this was on a podcast and I remember coming home and feeling, feeling awful that I said that. You know, and so I, I just want to thank you for for being so honest, because I think that's where some of the the education starts to happen. Yeah. And Shana, you touched on it so quickly on, and I thought we were going to get to this much later when we talked about potentially diversity and inclusion. But um, it is the emotional trauma, the unraveling of that education that I think is is so important that we overlook. Yeah. You know, so so anyway. It is. And it's, it's, it's something that I, uh, that just happened yesterday that I thought was just perfect timing. Once we talk about emotional trauma and I always, I always call it mental gymnastics of being, um, a person of color in general, I'm sure, but I can only speak for the black experience, uh, in a white space. So I was on a Zoom call for work yesterday and I, I work in fashion. I work for a brand that you've definitely heard of that is just the whitest, most American brand we got. Um, And a woman on the call said three phrases, three very benign to her phrases, but she was talking about uh, the store closures and how it has helped us move through some inventory. And she said, well, thank goodness for COVID. That was her first phrase. Second phrase was, talking about how the design team has been like going wild. We need to get them under control. And her comment was, we just need more policing. Third comment was how we need to start working into styles that work and grab all that low hanging fruit. So as a black woman, and you guys are shaking your head. So it's like, as anybody that's conscious in the world today, that's awful. You just said three awful things. And to me, to say thank goodness to COVID number one is so insensitive. But then my mind instantly goes to the fact that the majority of people dying in this country are not white people. And then you say we need more policing as police brutality is outside of our window every day. And black people are three times more likely to be killed by police. And then you say low-hanging fruit as Black men are being lynched in this country. And so that is the emotional trauma and the mental gymnastics that it takes to be so hyper-vigilant for your survival that those phrases, of course, had me on edge. Whereas I know if I were to bring these up up to this woman, she would be appalled. Because I really don't think that she had bad intentions. But that's just a day. That's just but one meeting. One meeting, one day. And that's yeah. sort of what I'm trying to get at when we talk about emotional trauma. You know, her her being unaware of what she's saying is what I am trying to tie to education because it's one thing to be aware of it and say it and take a step back and be like, oh, she doesn't even know. And that's what scares me. And and what scares me is that we have the base level, don't say the N-word, don't kill a black person, and they and we think that that's it. And there's just so much nuance. And like, you know, I was talking to a friend about this, and he said, well, well, do you feel, a, a black friend, and he was like, do you feel like you are were overthinking? And I said, the same way, because he, he does ask these questions because not even overthinking, but there are times when I internalize it and it's like, mm-hmm. I would have felt attacked by that. And I had to think about the fact that I would never go to a person experiencing homelessness and tell them that I'm starving. It's insensitive. It, mm-hmm. It's hyperbole that I use all the time, but they actually might not have food 
that would be so insensitive for me to do. Or to go to a person who has lost an arm and tell them my arm hurts so bad it feels like it's falling off. Like that's insensitive to do. And the reason, and like you were saying, the reason that I know that is because I have done some of the work to think outside of an existence of my own. And I feel like that is the very difficult part with like anti-racism, all these conversations is like, it is not enough for you just not to say the N word (laughs) and to like not, and to like have a black person on your team, you know? Mm -hmm. It's crazy that you say that because not crazy. It it is fully relevant. It, It is painfully relevant that you say that because earlier today I had an experience that similarly it was being on the receiving end of what giving the benefit of the doubt. I know whatever person wrote this had no intention of being horrendously offensive to anybody for whom the struggle for black liberation means something. But it was horrendously offensive. And I won't say the company's name because I hope that they do better, but you better believe that it's going to come out if they don't change. But it was an email for just a a business, just a business who is advertising commercial stuff. They're a Fortune 500 company. And in their email to the listserv of, you know, millions of people around the country today on Juneteenth, the subject line of the email reads, say it loud. I'm back in business. That was the line. It didn't say I'm black and I'm proud. It said, say it loud, hyphen, I'm back in business. And something about, because at first I'm like, oh, maybe they're doing like a Juneteenth discount, a special or something. And I open the email and it's all about like crap that they're selling. I'm like, oh, no, you did not take our rallying cry for black pride and liberation and use it as a tagline to sell your white shit, I went off. I went all the way off. I wrote them an email. I sent it to this, the chief marketing officer, to the CEO, to five people on the marketing team, and I BCC'd yes, you better, you a better bunch Karen. of my friends. That's, that's such a Karen move to just listen. Like, I want to talk to all your managers. And let I'm me tell you something. That email shook me. And I have, I mean, D, I'm always proud of you. I think you're extraordinary. But I was sitting on the couch and I jumped up and was like, this is, uh, this is it. This is it. I love that. I was so pissed off. But basically what I was trying to convey was how dare you? Because, but when it comes, this is what it feels like as a black person. When it comes to making light of our struggle for existence, you're so flip, you're so casual. And so the illustration that I had to make, it's like, well, maybe you'll understand if I put it this way, would you ever dare on Holocaust Remembrance Day to use as your tagline to your millions of customers that include a lot of Jewish people who help your company be better to, to say, never forget, how to save on printer eggs. You know what I mean? Like, (sighs) we're back. You know, like, are you crazy? Right. Crazy. Or or taking Jewish out of it, would you ever do that on 9-11 or any of the other things that this country has decided is important enough to be reverent about? Thank you. And I'm like, on Juneteenth? Seriously, you are commodifying (laughs) and appropriating our existence? How dare you? And I will say, to their credit, the CEO wrote back within five minutes and was like, Oh my dear God, I, we, I'm, to say I'm sorry is not enough. Uh, we will do better. Boo. How many people did it have to go through to get here? They didn't let an intern send the That's email. Like, well, yeah. But I would like to hire more black people and you need to get a black person who actually has a voice in a specific yeah. position of influence because there's no way in the world that a black person would have allowed this to go out of the door. So you have to do more hiring. And you and I'm looking at your board of directors. You ain't got not nary a black person well, on it. That is, <laughs> so we'll see. No, I, maybe I report at the end of the season or something. No, <laughs> no, but I, I actually, for the, you know, rest of the, once, once that response came back, I kept Googling to see if the company, if it made the headlines. I'm like, yeah. this, you know, I was like, I hope this goes out big time, you know, and this brings me back to the question I wanted to ask both of you, Shana and Didi. Juneteenth, you know, are you, are, to me, 
this is my it's an opinion i i do love that people are recognizing and celebrating but i'm also slightly pissed off like that's not enough So I, but I want to understand from your perspective, what you feel about a, the media attention and, you know, the, the unraveling of Juneteenth and, and it being the forefront and what you hope comes out of it. And if you're feeling on it is, you know, excitement, annoyance, a little bit of both. (sighs) Of course, Shana. So I actually just posted about this on my Instagram. Um, I don't want this country to do anything with Juneteenth. I've been celebrating Juneteenth. I've been singing the Negro National Anthem. I've been going to cookouts. It's not what happens when this, when this country, specifically white America gets a hold of something. It is so scrubbed clean of anything that doesn't fit the narrative that they want, that it's unrecognizable. And I don't, what I do want, I, like, <laughs> what I do want is for you to stop killing us, for you to stop taking resources from our community and actively trying to stop our progress. It's not about Juneteenth. It's not about Aunt Jemima. I don't care about Juneteenth being a holiday or Nike doing. That's not what we're asking. And it's just, it, if what it feels like to me is that they are giving what they are comfortable giving to try to say like, okay, well, here you go. We gave you Juneteenth. Like, what else do you want? And it's like, those aren't the demands. And that's not how demands work. How demands work are that we fight and burn it down until we get what we want. That's just how demands are. And so we didn't ask for this. We didn't ask for a black bachelor. Like we didn't ask for this. This is not what we are in here for. It took me a minute, but then I was like, that's right. That's exactly (laughs) correct. It's like, we didn't. And so for me, I I don't want Juneteenth Columbus and whitewashed and scrubbed clean the way that they have MLK. They love a they love a MLK quote that's about peace. But it's like he was if he was so peaceful, why did you kill him? I'm confused. If that's what you want, and so I don't want that to happen to uh, to Juneteenth. And a comparison that I heard that was really great is that like. Same with Jewish high holidays. Like, you can recognize them. You can do your reading on them. When you know someone that celebrates them, you can say something to them. But, like, I don't think the Jews are out here wanting... They they take their days off and celebrate as they see fit. And so, for me, it's just what... The, the flippancy that comes with it now that it is a general, now that Instagram is posting about it. Instagram and Facebook are the most racist social media platforms. And so, but it's like, now you want a Juneteenth sticker on Instagram? You know, it's just, not only is it not enough, in the face of you still doing the same thing over and over again, it's rude. So, uh, no positive feelings about that. Over and you know here. what? I'm, Again, once again, Shayna, I appreciate your honesty because I'll be honest, it's, I waver in between. Am I supposed to feel glad about this? It doesn't feel like I should, Um, but I see my friends trying, but it doesn't really feel as though that is what this is about. So uh, thank you. Yeah. I guess D. (laughs) Like I have anything to follow behind Shayna X. (laughs) To me. Juneteenth is it it's not like Christmas. Right. We aren't celebrating like the savior coming into like it's not a happy occasion. There was nothing positive about slavery. There was nothing positive about these systemic I mean the atrocities that lasted for so long, the destruction of families, and I, I could weep, and I could spend the rest of my my life weeping, thinking about that middle passage. Mm-hmm. So the fact that a group of people were held in that just horrific existence longer than they had to be is disgusting. And, and, and because of capitalism and hiding of all of it, all of it. And I will right. say it wasn't only in Texas. 
For me, this relates to my own personal history. On my mother's side, my great, great, great grandfather, of whom we have a photograph, very rare, he, his family was in Arkansas. And they also did not tell them for two years that the, the war had ended. And so they continued to fight. I mean, they continued to work. And then when they finally got the information, they uh, got together. It was his family and a group of other families. And they went to uh, a Native American community in Greenwood, Mississippi. And they bought, talk about like enterprising and entrepreneurship. These like five black families were able to build relationships with the Native American community that was there in Mississippi, the few that were left. And some of them intermarried and some of them, they just settled alongside one another and they ended up buying land from the Native American people and they built an entire community and there's, they built their own well, they dug it with their hands and there are bricks that are laid around that well um, that have the names of my great, great, great grandfather and my great, great, great grandmother. And, and we take pride, tremendous pride in that. But that was a tragic the whole thing was horrible. Right. So it's not it's a jubilation. Not it's not a, it's not a wedding. It's not a, it's not a celebration to me. And so, and same with Shane, I've been celebrating this from the time I was little right. and it's not. So for me, from the perspective of the rest of the world, it feels as if this is just yet another way for them to delegate out the real work of eliminating systemic racism. It's so easy to just mark off of your to-do list to try to include on your roster of diversity initiatives that you have. And it and seems- And to co-opt black culture yet again. Exactly, exactly. It's so, it's so baffling to me that they have found a way to like equally pretend to learn and then still co-opt black culture. Still Juneteenth won't bring a black, black person culture. to your suite. Come on. Well, now. now, so remember, we we started off this podcast, you know, actually commemorating and, and making a point of it. And I think, you know, I know the reason why we did that. It was to get to this conversation, right? Because um, this, 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 to me, what you have just answered and explored is the most important point of what we discussed today. Well, there's so many. Commemoration and celebration are two different things. That's right. And to mm -hmm. me, in, in many ways, it's it's almost like pride. There, you you can't tell me, you know, that had we not been in COVID, there would have been, you know, rainbows everywhere on everything that you can buy from orange juice to a new car. Does that mean that me trying to, you know, get a job for a friend of mine in a place where they do not recognize, you know, same-sex marriage is going to be any easier? No. But hey, they got the stickers. You you both yeah. have brought this up multiple times, uh, Dee, in your letter today, Shana, in your Zoom call earlier. Um, I'm also, uh, uh, you know, in corporate America. I, I won't say where uh, for various reasons, but I would like to talk to you about, I would like to discuss diversity inclusion and inclusion. It's something that's sort of been on my mind um, significantly. I mean, f for the entirety of my career, obviously there's an emphasis on it now. And I'll say this, I think that most corporations that have diversity and inclusion programs are bullshit. Yep. They're bullshit. Yep. And I think I think much to, you know, Juneteenth and everything else, there's a stamp that they put up, there's a memo they send out. And and I'll and I'll be clear about it. I think the act of having a diverse workplace. Okay. I think companies have made pro progress of having a workplace that um is similar to the communities that we're in and that we serve, right? They, they, there's some that have made progress in having diversity in the workplace. It's the inclusion part that I think they fall short on. And yes, they fall short on diversity as well, but without the inclusion, you'll lose the diversity. Yeah. And see, my, my thing about diversity is I have worked in multiple companies where on paper, the diversity is there, but when you get there, it's it's the black mail room and the white board room. That's not diversity. Agree. And I yeah. think I think that that's where, to, in my mind, the inclusion part of allowing the diverse workforce to be part of the game and to be part of the conversation and feel valued and given the same opportunities 
as their white counterparts. That's where the work needs to be done. And I don't know how that work gets done if the leaders of some of these companies have so much emotional trauma around what they're supposed to be doing, they don't even know. This is this is where I'm I'm I I, I honestly don't get it. You can you can even have Shana, the diverse, the the women on the boards and diversity of of color throughout the organization. But if you're outnumbered and if you're being led by a group of people that don't understand what it means to be inclusive, you're still not winning. And I don't know how that part of it gets fixed. And to me, I think it's not only that they don't understand it, I don't think fundamentally that they want for people of color and women to fully compete. Well, I think we've all, all, I think we've all been there. Yep. And so because of that, there will be all these, you know, air quotes, justifications as to why certain individuals just don't, they, they're only going to get, but so far, they're only going to let you go. And, you know, I love Ava DuVernay. She is, I love everything coming from her lips. And she says, look, Basically, F trying to break somebody's glass ceiling. That's their house. Mm-hmm. They're not going to let you take over their house. Right. Oh, you why just got to build your own why house. You why, why would they? Like, it's that's why, that's why that the, it infuriates me, these programs and the conversation they have. It's because, it, yeah. I, I, and it's, it, it, it makes me, it doesn't actually, it makes me upset for all of us, but it really infuriates me for, you know, uh, nieces and children and other people that have to grow up and deal with that same shit. Yeah. You know, what and you know, no, go ahead. You know, you go. I just, um, this is maybe another unpopular opinion. I don't expect nor want them to do. Hmm. I guess want maybe is a little there, but I don't expect it to get better. <clears throat> I expect it to to get better in the sense that they will want their numbers to look better. But like Danaka just said, like the powers that be, why would they give it up? But like, this, like why? And so what, what I expect to be better is when we create our own businesses and, and to me, corporate America, why would this country has never, ever, 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 ever truly cared about equality? Why would that happen now? This country wasn't built on equality. We have to have have-nots in order for there to be haves. Like, I don't think that that is really that is really the goal of, like, just corporate America as an entity, right? I'm sure there's people inside of it that are like, this is awful. We need to do better. But those people are not the puppet masters. They're still the puppet. And so who the puppet master is, whoever is the big arm running everything in this country from... 1619 when we got here forward does not want this to be better. And so I think what what the point that I have gotten to is that that is not my expectation and my ex- and like my thought is to just do the best I can when I'm in there until I build enough generational wealth and legacy to have my own company and then my niece won't have to worry about that. Right. Because I'll ha- then have an internal network of people that actually want to see her succeed. And I, I, Garvey. Uh, I can I can appreciate that, Shana. I, I really can. And, and you know, I would say 80 percent of me, almost 90 is there, but I'm still infuriated by the system. And yeah. I, I don't know if that's I don't. Be. And Shana, I'm asking I'm asking. I'm actually not saying this is my like. I'm asked, like, why shouldn't we fight for it? Now, I, maybe it's not going to change, you know. Yeah. I, I, I'm saying that because I'm always on the hopeful side of optimism. So yeah, I'm, is, that's just the way. Which we need. Which but, we need. But I feel like, why should we have to, I don't know. I got to think. I, 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 why should we have to do that? Yeah. If I may. Yes. I, 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 I can relate to both sides of you. Um, because to your question, Preeti, it feels as if we are so heavily invested in the enterprise. That is why we deserve our spot. Yes, it's their house, 
But who built the house? Come on. They would not have that house if it were not for the contributions of people of color, of all colors. Some of the most brilliant contributions coming out of Silicon Valley right now are coming from people from different parts of the world. Not from anybody's descendants from the Mayflower. I'm just putting it out there. Mm -hmm. And yet and still, you want to act as if once it's time to reap all the rewards, it's only one color and only one gender that should be at the top. And that's what it's like. If this, if you legit just built this pyramid on your own, all right, go ahead. But no, 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 no. You, it, it's the story of like the the little red hen. You know, everybody wants to to. Well, that's a bad analogy. But anyway, because we played a part in making it great, that's why we want. Yeah, but that's but how also recognize work. That's right. And that's capitalism. Shana's Shana, yeah. like girls. Yes, I know. <laughs> Ladies, like that's all the job. Ladies, this is it. And but Didi will tell you, yeah. and like my co-host does this all the time because he also will be like, but there is progress. And I, I feel like I always say one of my superpowers is like I can connect literally give me anything and I can connect it to slavery because it it did it did all start that way. And I feel like in this conversation, what's hard is that like the same I hope this analogy comes through, but the same, like, you know, if I have a housekeeper and she comes and cleans my house every two weeks, but somebody comes over and says, oh my gosh, your apartment's so cute. I don't then say, oh, my housekeeper did this, like meet her, talk to her, be friends with her, right? Because it's my house. And so while I hired this person to essentially do all the work, it is my house. So anybody that comes into my house what, whatever they're complimenting and whatever benefits come from this house belong to me. And that, that is how I feel with working in corporate America. I will always be your housekeeper until it's my house. And then when it's my house, I can bring everybody in that I want and I can give them the credit and I can take my knowledge and do the right thing. But as long as I'm in your house and, and that is, corporate America's house, that's white America's house, that's capitalist house, then I don't, I really don't expect you to pull me into the party when someone compliments you and says, well, here's the housekeeper. I don't. And so I don't think that, that there shouldn't be a fight for it. I'm definitely not saying that. That is not my fight. My fight is not to make corporate America act outside of itself. For, for us to get to a place where this didn't exist, would be rewriting what has ever happened in the history of mankind. And I, I just don't think that we're going to get there. But I, but I do think that there's progress that can be made to make the steps easier along the way. But could I not say the same thing for systemic racism, that we're never going to get there to rewrite history? You could and you should. I, don't, I do not think that, that racism will ever stop existing. If you read back before when dinosaurs roamed the world, right? We, there have always been a division. Even when race wasn't a thing because race is a construct, there was always a division. We always figured out a way to say their religion is different, their region is different, they eat meat, we eat plants, right? Like, like even in the animal kingdom. So there will, <laughs> this is not the flowery version, but there will always be a division I do. I am in no way saying do not fight it. I think that, like Dee Dee was saying, I I feel that the fight needs to be towards building our own house. I I don't I don't necessarily think the fight needs to be fixing this very well built century century old house. I, I do think that in a sense the fight needs to be to make this house less successful because we're taking all the things that worked in this house and putting it into the one that we built. Well, to that point, I would love to know, how did your business podcast come about? Can you tell us the <laughs> moment when y'all realized, and yeah. I'm so sorry, and I do want to take this moment to credit and acknowledge your phenomenal co-host who yeah. we're so sorry is not here, but JJ is just a brilliant person human singer oh my goodness that yeah, came up so my resident Al Green. yes but he is your, your partner in crime with the yes. yo 
business podcast. Yeah. When did the two of you decide that you wanted to take your message to the airwaves? Because I'm blown away by the number of people who have just reached out to me since we, because Preeti and I don't know what we're doing on this show. Yes, <laughs> Well, listen, but people were like, oh my God, how'd you do that? Wait, what happened? And we're like, we don't know. We just hit record and just went running for it. Um, It started as a joke. And now here we are talking to a real professional. What was the moment for you guys? Because you say this is the podcast about business and blackness. So how did that come about? Yeah. So the, the minute it happened, we were on the train. I think we were coming from Harlem or going to Harlem or something. And we started having a discussion and like just about what we generally talk about, probably like something that we saw on Instagram and just like have an opinion about back and forth. And we look up and people are, had been listening and like either shaking their head or being like, no. And so we were like, wait a minute, (laughs) people care about what we're saying. And we're saying something that like they haven't heard. And, and I think somebody even said like, thank you for having that conversation. And so we, and this was just, I think we were like going to brunch, right? This is just what we chat about. And so, um, he has like, he has like a very business background, like in the more technical sense of the word. And I have like kind of always been creative, but bring the business side in and definitely had the blackness side. And like what he writes about is also often about black business and black culture. And so we were just like, we should do this and see. And then how we came to the idea of having guests is like, we just recognize that like, we have such a dope network of people that we will have these chats with all the time. Like the amazing thing is we're on season three of your business and we have not had a guest on that wasn't our friend. Like we haven't reached out to any strangers or like, these are all friends or friends of friends who own huge businesses, who are attorneys. We had, um, a VP from Moody's. We had like a, somebody that helps you fix your credit, you know, it's, and these are just all our friends. And so we, along with the education piece, we were saying like, this is our job for our community is to like take these lives that we've been able to live with a lot of privilege, you know, like we both went to very good schools and we both were able to break in to corporate America and like, make a good salary and live in Brooklyn, live in Harlem. And that's just like, not the, that isn't, everybody doesn't have that. And what, what the both of us also have is an innate want to research and fact check. And Mm -hmm. that's just not something that everyone, you know, and especially when it's coming from the media, people will listen and walk away with it. And I think both Mm -hmm. of us realize that like, what makes us a little different is that we are constantly to the point of being exhausted, constantly being like, but is that true? And like, are you telling the whole story? Mm -hmm. And then what does that mean for me? And like, Mm -hmm. who reported this? And what was the scope that they were, you know? And it's just like, we, we personally both know family who only get their news from Facebook and that's dangerous. That's dangerous. And so we felt like it was um, our purpose to like, have these conversations that we're having in silos and make it available to people who may not, who may not look on CNN or even if they do may not have, may not have the thought to like break that information apart and find out what they're really trying to tell us. The level of detail that you bring to your takedown of the news. I I meant when I said like, I, I can just listen to your business and get the highlights of the critical events of the week and also hear a perspective of someone who is really, to my, from my view at least, radically conscious about the hypocrisy, the inconsistencies, the, the, the subliminated racism that is so integrated into the, the presentation of the information right. that it's not even like questioned. So thank you for that. Can I ask, in the process of doing those three seasons, how have you evolved, if at all, or what have you learned about yourself? um, Yeah, um, I've evolved a lot, and it's really been the, um, the courage to speak up. And so I do remember, even in in my dating life, I would kind of keep this militant side of me 
quiet because I just was shame. like, is it too much? <laughs> like, am I being too much? You know, I hate that. I just have to say, that's not a question any of us should ever ask if we're being right. too much. Oh, but you the answer that. is no. Right. Right. And so it's like, I remember in the beginning doing that there and then even doing that like at work and even around my family sometimes of just like, do I want to always be the person that is like, but what about this? And I feel like your business has has been such a gift to me because it's like, I absolutely always want to be the person that says, but what about this? Always, always. And like, it's turned me into a person that like, will ask about like your thoughts on consent and abortion laws on a first date, because I need to know where you stand so that I know that I should just move on, you know? And so it, it has made me be very much more like, not only is it not too much, it's never enough. Just like, keep pushing forward so that that's the gift that your business has given me of just being like, I have a lot to say and like, it should be said. Gina, every podcast, and it's always me that we get to this one hour and five minutes and I'm always the timekeeper. And I don't think I, I, I might say this every time. This one has gone by incredibly fast. So fast. I think she's like, uh, I have a whole list of questions. I'm like, <laughs> I know. And I want to say, I think the greatest gift, back? <laughs> of course. we're going to have a Girl, part two, part we're two. Lockdown. We're like, where else? I'm just here. <laughs> but the greatest gift I think podcasts or conversations give us, right. Is, is the ability to learn a different perspective and, yeah. um, I have learned so much from you in this past hour. And, and, and I, I want to say I've learned from you too, because I feel like you have made me think like, do I, do I want to always say that's not possible? You know, I, I think it, it, it is important for me to, to tap into an optimistic side. Um, so thank you for that too. Cause that's a good reminder that it's like, it feels bleak, but there is like, there, there is importance of holding on to a hope also. And those things vary throughout the course of the day and the course oh, of our sure. lives, right? Yeah. You know, depending on what's happening. But um, I, I've, I said this earlier in an email. What a privilege to spend the evening with oh, you and Dee, so of course. I say that yeah, this has been so fun. Well, in the spirit of, so I've got my T-shirt on with Malcolm, <laughs> Harriet, Martin, Maya, and Frederick. Yeah, all their names in the shot. And in the spirit of, of Malcolm and Martin, and I'm sure actually all of them, you know, um, faith, faith was a huge part of their ability to envision something that seemed impossible, mm-hmm. a world where racism, hatred, discrimination, oppression did not carry the day. So my closing question uh, questions to, to Shana. And I say this, I, I meant to mention this earlier. So I know Shana because we go to the same church. We do. Um, and she's a fabulous singer. My goodness. Ooh, I, every communion. She snatched it. Uh, <laughs> I, I wonder, Shana, what one gives you hope? And two, um, what do you hope to see in view of the faith that you have and what is possible when you are connected to a higher power? Yeah. I will say that the one thing that gives me hope is that Black people that are present in 2020 are superhuman at this point. Of of what had to happen for me to be sitting here, for my parents to be alive, right? For my ancestors to have made it through the Middle Passage and made it through slavery to get together and have a Black child makes me magical. And that gives me hope that like, we are still here. We are still here. And like, there hasn't no attempt at the centuries of genocide that have been tried have gotten rid of Blackness on this planet. And so it's crazy for me to think that they'd be able to do that in 2020. They tried so hard. And so that's my hope is that we are still here. We are still fighting. We are still making black babies who are making black babies. And it's just like, I am very hopeful that like, even if the other things don't feel like they're getting better, we still have that. 
Um, so that makes me very hopeful. And then what my faith does is that's an interesting question because there, there, there is a struggle with me sometimes that like, I just can't imagine that this is what God wanted. And, um, you know, when you read the Bible in depth, it is not a very loving book towards women often or towards slaves or, you know, and so I do go back and forth with organized religion, but what I do know in my personal relationship with a God is that he has made ways where there was literally no way from day one. And so I do not doubt that when he is ready to do it here, he will do it here. However, he sees fit. It might be burning it all down and starting over. He did that before, <laughs> you know, and it's like, how, however he sees fit to do it, but I don't doubt that he is still has a hand in all of this as hard as it feels. So I do try to remember that, that like the King James's Bible who was written by someone that doesn't look like us may not exactly give me the hope that I want, but like my personal relationship with a God and a savior that I know personally reminds me that like, He's, he's been through worse. He was there through all of this. And so like, he's not going to leave us now. Nothing to say after that. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Shana. Thank and you amen. both so much for having me. <sighs> Thank you, Shana. It was a lovely Friday night. <laughs> it, it was part two, man. Part yeah. two. That's what we think our second season is going to be, part two. Everyone on the first, because we just I, we never. We that would be very cool. Yeah. Listen, because I still got a whole other. <laughs> I'll just call you. I was going to say we're like we'll, we'll meet. Have, in let's four, meet in the park. Yeah, we'll meet in four three park. Yeah, like, it doesn't have to be a podcast. I'd love yeah, to. We'll yeah, we'll sit. We'll sit our blankets six feet apart, and we could chat. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, yeah. I would love that, <laughs> I would love that too. <sighs> Preci, we did another. <laughs> we did another pie. It's the same thing. We get to the end, and I'm like, I just don't want to hit hang I don't up. Want to, I, this is the last thing. This is, we might have to edit it out. If there's not time. But I just want to say, Preci, when you said earlier that you you felt hesitation about identifying as a person of color, my take on that is it's not that you have any reluctance or any person of color really to embrace your ancestry. I think if the question had been who in here is um, Indian American or whose parents are from India, you would have been like, yes, all the right. way. It's that in this country, the whole race lens is one of oppression. And so to put that on is inherently painful. And, 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 and also to, sorry, and also to be forced to take it, you know, yeah, I, I have exactly. that struggle as much as I love being black. I have that struggle with the term black because it's just yes. like the only reason that exists is because someone who wasn't decided that that's what I would be called. Yes. And so exactly. I, I fully understand. It's like the phrase in itself makes you question, is that something yeah, I'm looking on? It, it was in context context of a of a conference that was focusing on the progress of women color in corporate America, and so there was it was in context of of showing how many people at this that there weren't enough people that were standing up. Quite frankly, that was the context of it. Personally, it it just it and and I thank you for saying that, Dee. But personally, I I was embarrassed, and I know what you're saying, and I think part of that was years of wanting to be a white, you know, wanting to be that white girl and not wanting people to see me as a person of color so that I would have the same opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that to me was a, was a recognition of, you know, I, there's some work here and I, I also am very proud of who I am and I'm very yes. proud of my skin color. And, uh, you know, Shana, that's sort of where the, the fight fight comes in of, of, I shouldn't have to be, uh, separated out and there shouldn't have to be a conversation like this it right and and that's where that's it just hit in a place that i didn't expect it to that yeah, hesitation the, yeah yeah and the work is not only for you to do it's right. not that you wanted to be a white person it was that white america wanted to make you feel that that was better right but, right but, but that we, i didn't know right, right. We're, <laughs> that, we're all that now, came later. now you do i know right. now if you don't know Right. And when you know better, you do better. So, that's right. That's, well, thank that's you. Progress.
much. Thank you, Shana. Thank, thank you both the, so much. Lord. And thank you to our seven listeners. To our listeners, if, if the Belgian listeners are listening, we thank you. We love you. Shana, how can people learn about your business? So your business is on um, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us at Yo Business Pod on Twitter and Instagram. We're taking like a little mental health hiatus, but mm-hmm. we'll be back. We promise. We're just like trying you to got, use- got one seasons one through three people to catch up yeah, on. By right. the time you're there's, done, they'll there's be back. A lot of and our episodes are long, so you got some time. <laughs> I they are my road trip accompaniment, and I'm yeah. about to take one this weekend. So I love thank that. you. <laughs> All right, thank you everybody. We love you for listening. Bye. Until next time. Bye-bye. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, follow us on Instagram, the underscore Bali underscore effect, and we'll see you there. Thank you. Bye. Check us out.